Hello, friends, and welcome to the Learning Future Podcast. I'm your host, of course, Luca Parry. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And it's going to be really time well spent because we're in this interesting moment now when we think about, you know, how do we create the right conditions for our young people to thrive? And so if you're a parent or an educator or a leader or an innovator, someone working in this space around thriving in particular to do with well-being and cognition and, and nature and the influence that it has, you're very much going to enjoy our conversation. Today, we're speaking with Catherine uh, Assen-Floyd, and she's an educator with over 30 years of experience in the field of early care and education. Uh, at the moment, she's the director for Ideal Learning Initiatives at the Trust for Learning, and she comes to us with this really deep understanding of the role of nature and, and how it can influence the way that we educate our young people, the role that it has on our cognition and on our mental health. Um, but also kind of, uh, she'll share her passion for social justice and equity building. As we're just talking <laughs> about Katrina, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just so curious about some of the work that, you, that you're doing there in terms of, you know, how do we look after our, our youngest humans and, and kind of really set them up to thrive in this rapidly changing, digitizing world. So thank you so much for joining us on the Learning Future podcast. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. First question always is what's something that you're learning as a learning as a learner right now? What's something that, you know, is really, you know, interesting you? I think what is really interesting that I'm learning about right now is more and more about the benefits of children being outside and learning outside mm. and really diving into the research around how children can thrive, flourish have better attention, have better, you know, just academic outcomes. And I think that surprises people sometimes when I say, actually, having children outside while they're learning leads to increased standardized test scores, increased high school um, graduation, decreased dropout rates. So there's a lot of things that might not seem natural, to use that word, to people who are educators and families and the general public. But there is a lot of research around the benefits for being outside and engaging in uh, nature. I feel like um, we've spoken about this on the podcast previously with Nicholas Carlisle, the idea that young people now are kind of living a predominantly digital life. And so what's the case? Like, what does the research tell us about the benefits of nature-based learning? Because clearly, you know, you see young kids kind of playing in a sandpit or just, you know, engaging in nature. There is this almost natural, to use that word, natural explorative uh, element to our humanity that kind of really does seem to come out. But, you know, that's that's been changing over the over the generations. So, well, yeah, what do we what do we know? Yeah. And, you know, you think about maybe experiences you had a as a child, maybe at a lake or a beach with the sand and the water and the sun. And maybe all you had was an empty bottle that you were using <laughs> to build sandcastles. And yeah. if you've ever watched a child engage in sand and water and mud, you can see their attention. You can see that they focus. Maybe they're building up just a big pit where they want the water to flow into and, and make a pool. And on the to contrast that, you look at a classroom where there are rows of chairs and you see the amount of fidgeting that happens. You see the lack of concentration, the inattention. And so how do we merge these things? 
you know, how do we take the best of pedagogy and the best of technology, but then also make sure that our kids are having feet in the sand, mud in their hair and, you know, just just uh, come home dirty and and happy. So there's just a lot going on, especially for young children with with COVID and the amount mm. of trauma that's happening for young children and all that happens in nature that is healing to the human soul, to the cognition, to learning, to all of those things. I, I, so Katrina, I'd, I'd love, because I think many of us know this intrinsically, like, you know, as, as adults that would love to be listening to this podcast, you know, we, we can recall all these experiences when we were growing up and, you know, you know, for some, for some of us, even, you know, before mobile phones were just ubiquitous uh, and kind of in our hand always. And kind of that, that picture of people being outside, but actually still being kind of on, you know, on a screen. And so, so what do we know? Cause this idea of healing or attentional restoration, or perhaps even engaging, you know, parasympathetic nervous system and polyvagal theory. Like, what is it? What is it about the benefits of nature? Like, why is it that we can go outside and kind of look at the fractals of a tree, or, you know, listen to the ocean, and it will somehow calm us or help us co-regulate? What's really going on there around the, the emotional and social skills or the childhood development space? Because I've always been very curious about it. Uh, in, you know, it's really interesting. Um, a lot of it has to do with colors. So for, as an example, the human eye can detect more colors of green than it can of any other color. And so our brains are hardwired to thrive in nature. They're hardwired to be able to look at the leaves and see the different colors and you know watch a squirrel run, mm. run up and down and learn about gravity and learn about all of these wonderful things. And so it's really about you know, creating these spaces and children are able, when they're outdoors, there's more collaboration, there's more cooperation, problem solving. They've seen instances of mental health disruptions go down. Mm. And when we look at the fact that we are educating children that are citizens of the future, and we don't know what the jobs are going to be like. We don't know what the environment's going to be like. And so rather than focusing on these sort of rote memorizational things that you can measure on a test, yeah, we need to be looking at critical thinking and executive functioning and all of those things that are hard to quantify, you know, but when you sit down and ask an industry leader what, what they want in their employees, they're not mentioning that they've memorized their ABCs and they know how to mm. add one plus one. They're not mentioning any of those discrete skills. What they're mentioning are all of these other things. You know, can they go into a situation that is completely new to them and use the skills that they have to solve a problem that's yeah. maybe never faced before? And those are the things that outdoor and nature-based learning does for uh, children. And that's why it's become so important uh, here as we're you know building these little little people that are going to be uh, <laughs> leaders of the future. Absolutely. I mean, it just feels like to me it's been it's the perfect environment. And yet for some some reason, I think we've, as as you say, the kind of industrialization of our society and in all systems, including educational ones, 
seems to be thought actually no it's going to be better for us to you know to really teach teach the children as a low as, and you know this distinction between teaching and learning i think is one i reflect on often as an as an educationalist it's well actually sometimes you know we don't need to be directly instructing or explicitly instructing what we need to do is for there to be an like learning as as, as a principle of as an as an emergent principle if we put it that way and so you know nature is always about problem solving or discovery or curiosity um and yeah this idea of like you know well, okay everyone come back inside so you can now learn it's such an it's, it's kind of a strange framing isn't it really okay well the recess is over it's now time to come and yet the learning never stops even the word teacher i've i've sometimes said wow you know i wish we didn't call them teachers i wish we called them facilitators mm. or something similar to that because what we do then is we set up the environment we set up activities we give this freedom but freedom within safe parameters mm -hmm. so that they are doing risk taking but it's an acceptable risk yeah and so how do we think about ourselves as educators as more uh, of a facilitator to learn as how do I help draw that out in a child? How do I excite their natural curiosity? How do I bring out that little scientist who wants to understand why the ants are going in a row? And why not then create learning experiences based on their interests? Because, you know, I can teach one, one plus one equals two but if we find one acorn and then we find two acorns mm. and then we talk about how we had one and then we had another one, oh, now I have two. Yeah. And how much more then is a child's brain able to attach to that concept and it becomes more real to them? Absolutely, Katrina. I mean, I feel like this is this might be a constant struggle for parents. It seems like something has changed in our society about kind of how much time people spend with their young people and some of the research on that, you know, people are working so much. And so, and then of course, with the existence of digital technology, you know, the idea that screen time is so it's often used as a way in some ways to kind of give the young person something to engage in. And so what, like, how do we optimize the coexistence of, of that digital world, which of course is, is a reality and we don't want to shy away from, but also the physical nature spaces, spaces in, in terms of the way that we design our early childhood education. Um, yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, you think about a parent who is working, um, maybe a parent who doesn't have transportation. So not only do they have to take the bus to work, then they work a full day and they have to come home. And the ease of having a child in front of a screen, I can, I totally get it. I absolutely understand that sometimes you just need to decompress a little bit yeah. and so having those few minutes with your child maybe watching their favorite uh, television show or something you know, on, on pbs absolutely understand that but i remember listening to kind of a guru on brain development and he said the one thing that parents always ask me is how do i help my child become smarter and he said my answer is put away the phone mm. And he really talked about the interactions, the, the serve and return of those conversations. And, you know, um, how frequently now do we see mom pushing a baby stroller and maybe she's on the phone 
or she's watching some videos and all those missed opportunities for interaction, all of those, all of those things. And I think it's really easy to, to use technology as that kind of time to give yourself a break. And I definitely recommend anybody giving themselves a break when they really need it. But the amount of learning that happens from you just having a conversation in the grocery store about what kind of apples you're going to pick out. What kind of cereal should we get? Oh, I love the colors on this box. Well, we have four people in the family. How many oranges do we need? And all of those conversations that parents think of, you know, just as maybe something not important, it's mm. critical. Mm. Inequities and the word gaps and the learning gaps and this idea of any environment can be an ideal learning environment. All it takes is a child and an adult that's interested in helping that child, you know, kind of move and grow and, and enjoy. Yeah. And I, I think too, you think about the fact that we're always thinking about children as what they'll be in the future. How about enjoying them right now? Mm. How about really just sitting with a three-year-old in the grass and having an almost nonsensical conversation? <laughs> Whatever it is, or they make up jokes that don't make sense. And all of those things that are building those neural pathways in a way that a screen never could. Mm. And everybody can do that, no matter where you are, you know, in church or at home or on the playground or, you know, in the grocery store. All, you know, all of those places can be these ideal learning environments where kids are learning um, and growing and just being their goofy, wonderful selves. I, I feel like, Katrina, the, like, there's so much pressure that parents put on themselves, I think, even to do this. And I think even in our in our education systems, like, oh, we need to get these kids ready or like learning loss is kind of one of the constructs that's come out of COVID, of course. And yeah, it is hugely concerning where we're seeing developmental gaps in cohorts of young people. Um, and I feel like sometimes it's it's not so much, okay, let's like try to cram some more things in. It's just... It's like, actually, how do we utilize this time in the most optimal way possible? Uh, and yeah, and, and allow those things to kind of, again, to emerge, to unfold. Um, in my work in schools, you know, going down into the, the early childhood center was always kind of the place that I would go when, you know, when you wanted to be reminded of why you do the work you do in education, because the young people are just so dynamic and fascinated and curious about the whole world. Um it's it's just really I think it's something that we all again we know it intrinsically and yet we kind of need to design it deliberately because I want you to to speak to just the reality as well of different communities because there is something about like access in particular uh, and even at the international levels there are different kind of cultural practices where people spend a lot of time outside um, as opposed to you know being in an urban kind of concrete jungle type environment you know how do we think about nature-based learning through an equity lens um, and think about the, you know, the creative solutions required then to, to gain access to, to nature and, and the benefits that it has for all of us. Yeah, that's, it's a fabulous question because it really has come more to light with COVID. And I would, you know, I would love to hear people stop using learning loss because while children maybe fell behind on some of the rote memorization that we seem to want to require them to do, they learned a whole lot about germs. Mm -hmm. They learned a whole lot 
about washing their hands. They, I would bet most of them know what six feet is. Mm. With social and so I think about the fact that children are learning all the time. And so there's not a learning loss. It's just that they learn different things than we had intended. And so a lot of them became quite savvy with how to talk to grandma on the screen or, you know, how to do digital homework and, and all of those kinds of things. So really giving credit to kids for how resilient they can be and, and, um, and all of that. But what we saw a lot was an increase in the understanding in the inequities. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you know, we see it all, we see it all the time. We see it with what, whatever people want to call it, the learning gap, the word gap, the um, disadvantage, the under-resourced, all of those kinds of things. But, you know, what it boils down to is that there are kids in our world that don't have access to the same things that other kids do. And so if you are living in a very, very concrete industrialized part of town, you probably don't have access to a park and you probably don't. And maybe you have access to a park, but it's not a place where your mom or your dad or your grandma thinks it's safe. Mm. And so really it's about the fact that you can take any of these environments and make small but significant changes. So if your child is not, you don't feel comfortable with them, or running outside and then just coming in when the street lights come on. So maybe what you have is a small, small metal balcony. And so then maybe it really is about just finding some pots and some soil and putting a couple of beans in there. And it, and it's, you know, those times when the dandelions come up through the cracks in the asphalt, mm. right? There's been some writing about that, about finding nature where you are and pointing it out and say, you know, wow, look at this. Yeah. Everything everything here is black and it's concrete, but what's happening right there? And so we're turning them into these discoverers and these, um, you know, nature lovers. And it's about this idea too of the fact that there are cultural differences, there are differences racially and income, and really looking at that idea of risk-taking. And for a person who maybe lives in a place that they don't feel is safe, the idea of risk-taking can be really scary. Yeah. What we're talking about is creating appropriate risk-taking. Yeah. So maybe walking on rocks instead of walking on the pavement because it's it's rocky and it, it challenges your balance and it does uh-huh. different things with your brain. So there's so many different things that we can do that people don't need to to I want to tell parents to relax. I think if I could get anything through to parents, just really your child loves you to death wants nothing more than to just spend time with you. And even if that's just small snippets of time, Mm -hmm. but where you're kind of in that sacred space of between my nose and your nose, and you're having those little conversations and you're giggling and you're doing all those things. Those are the things that are going to make them cognitively strong. Mm -hmm. And so don't worry about the flashcards, you know, don't worry about the videos teaching them French when they're toddlers and those kinds of things. It's really about enjoying that time because 
you talked a little bit about the difference between an early, you know, in an early childhood classroom, the joy, the curiosity, mm. all of those things. Well, contrast that with a sixth grade classroom. Yeah. And how much more learning happens when you are engaged and enjoying and the teacher realizes that you have a love of the monster trucks. And mm. so you can do a whole thing on gravity or how fast it goes depending on an inclined plane but you're doing it with monster trucks and how much more than children are taking in when we can see them as individuals and it's just really capitalize on on all of those things and and so there are definitely ways to create more equitable access mm -hmm. and so maybe it's just bringing in a big bucket with dirt because mm -hmm. you don't you're not, you don't have a place outside Maybe it's too hot. I mean, we have places on this planet, 120 degrees, right? So, yeah. but you certainly can bring in buckets of water. Yeah. You certainly can do those kinds of things. And so not really worrying about these. Um, it's wonderful if you can get a grant and you're going to completely transform the playground, but that's not always a reality. Yeah. But it's a reality that you can have every child who has to walk to school, pick up the pine cones. And yeah. you're going to make a big tub full of pine cones and we're going to talk about the sack you have on your fingers and, and you know, what happens to the pine cones. And so there's just a lot of possibility out there. And so really helping parents and educators find the joy because yeah. when you have joy in something that's contagious. Yeah, absolutely. The joy, you know, the, the delight that young people have in their, like in the sense of being alive. And exploring, you know, asking questions after questions, you know, which sometimes we can feel is exhausting. But the, the point is, you know, it is this this beautiful curiosity that seems to be such a part of the human spirit. Um, and yet for a range of different factors, as we've spoken about, this idea of, okay, we're going to school you now in a place that has four walls that actually is enclosed and has maybe maybe some windows, maybe not, you know, like even the construction of the schools to be kind of inward as opposed to outward is such an interesting design decision. And I, and I often reflect, Katrina, about, you know, outside of the challenges of access, really, it's a, so many of the challenges are design problems. You know, things have just been poorly designed. Yeah, we've got a playground in the middle, but it's it's like the McDonald's type plastic playground where really there's there's very little breadth for exploration. And again, to our to a point about, you know, what's what's all this education for? To expand into all these capabilities that make us really human and that really help us in the marketplace, for example, to be, you know, problem solvers and risk takers, collaborative, you know, critical thinkers, all these kinds of skills. And it somehow seems like we, we in a well-intentioned but somewhat problematic way, remove them from the most ideal learning that there is, which is in the natural world, which of course is also the name of the subtitle of the report that you've authored, you know, at, at Trust for Learning, you know, nurturing all children in nature, ideal learning in the natural world. And I mean, one of the things that really struck me looking at that was that today's children spend less than half the time playing outdoors than their parents did. And I mean, that's that, that it kind of feels really sad at, at some level. Um, knowing that if you just, as you say, a couple of, couple of sticks, some leaves, and it can be this entire kind of expansive, peace and i think yeah. yeah maybe sometimes us what would you say that you know for, for educators it's kind of the design of a learning environment and a learning experience and then allowing the learning to emerge beautifully instead of having to all right we're going to work through textbook from page one 
to page 200. We've got to get your, you know, literacy and numeracy, which are critical skills, but to allow those to emerge through other, other mechanisms of, of cognition. Absolutely. And allowing that environment to be a teacher. Nice. So the environment itself and the things that kids can do and engage in and touch and smell and taste. And, you know, you think about the palates of young children and the amount of mac and cheese and French fries and pizza and the <laughs> growing carrot. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and how much more likely is a child to try a carrot if they've watched it grow? Yeah. So there's, you know, there's just a lot of things that, that parents can do, that educators can do. And, you know, when we're designing these environments, we just we take all the grass out and we take the big rocks out because they're, they're not quote unquote safe. But one of the best playgrounds I ever saw was just this big pad and they had put sand in it and two big boulders. And even though, even though there was a big plastic red and green and yellow playground within sight, the kids wanted to play on the boulders. Is that interesting? You know, and so, you know, why can't they? Why can't they up and down the hills? Why can't they climb trees? And yes, of course, sometimes um, things will happen, um, but they happen on those playgrounds too. And so, you know, they, those playgrounds um, don't help kids navigate yeah. things being unbalanced, things, you know, you know, all of those kinds of things. And so mm. we really got to look at what is safety, what's appropriate for risk taking, mm. because we can't put our kids in a in a bubble mm. you know, things you know there's so much there's research on health and that children are healthier when they're outside and you hear parents and they say no you know my my i can't let my child go out because it's cold and they're going to get a cold well actually being trapped in a classroom with 20 little people breathing on them is much more likely to give them the virus that is a cold <laughs> being outside and so really seeing that 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 whole idea that uh, norwegians say with there's no such thing as as bad weather there's just bad clothing (laughs) that's a great it's a great principle and again some of the other cultural principles i think it's free lifts free lifts live like you know like in the norwegian concept of like fresh air life i think it translates as something like that you know Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, absolutely and preschools where they don't go inside and it's interesting to work, particularly here in the United States, where there are states where it is nearly impossible to have an outdoor preschool because of the licensing requirements. That's interesting. And the places where you could be outside, you know, 300 days a year, but you can't because it's being inside those four walls that people consider safe. And, you know, rather than being outside and getting that fresh air and and learning all those things about how you persevere, you know, how do you, how do you solve the problem? Gosh. So it's just really obvious. If you step back far enough and look, look back at the construct of the system, you're like, Hmm, that's curious that this is one of the design features. And so my, like my question, Katrina is as, as we design these systems of the future, as these early childhood environments, and experiences like where are we 
where are we going? Where do you hope that we end up? So if we have this conversation, let's say in 15 years, and you think about the advocacy work that you're doing, the work that many kind of people are looking around the future of learning and trying to humanize that and think about the multidimensionality of human growth and development. What do you hope that reality is for us in, you know, 2035 when we have a whole new cohort of young people, you know, in these settings? We are. And, and, and I always, I always like to tell people, you know, this isn't an emergency, but it's urgent because mm. every cohort of three and four and five and six year olds that we miss we miss that cohort. And so I, I just love the idea of policymakers, lawmakers, you know, municipalities and counties and states and countries really looking at how are we designing this world so that children understand things, so that they understand, you know, the the whys about food and the where it comes from and why do we need animals? Why do we need these things? And so there's just there's just ways of looking at the future and looking at what is it really that we want for kids? Mm. What do we really want for children? And then de- designing things that way yeah. and really starting to look at particularly education, because now that the world has become more dangerous for you to just let your children go outside, education has a bigger and bigger responsibility towards what's used to happen at home and what used to happen out when you were across the street on the empty lot, learning all kinds of things about how much weight a branch could take if 15 children were sitting on it. (laughs) And all things that kids don't always have access to, we need to pick up some of that slack. We really need to be looking at why can't we teach lessons outside? Yes, absolutely. why can't we teach math by using rocks and sticks and, and things that happen in nature and learning what happens when you get a splinter and learning about what Mm. happens when you get stung by a bee or there's a spider and all of those things. And you're learning, you're learning that every living thing needs care. Yeah. And so we want to make sure that these kids of the future are also able to look at the environment and feel a sense of, joy, Mm. responsibility, stewardship, you know, what's going to happen if we don't have any more bees? Well, let's talk about, let's talk about what's a pollinator and what does that mean? And what happens if we don't have pollinators? Mm. And so, so much learning that happens just in this everyday enriching world of being outside Mm. textures, the colors, you know, the, the flavors, all of those things that you can't get in the brick building, mm. that you can't get sitting behind the desk. And so I would love to see parents, educators, policymakers take a step back and think about what is it we really want for kids? And is the memorization of the multiplication tables and whether or not a three-year-old knows all their alphabet, is that really what we want to get at. And when I ask people, what do you want for your children? They want children who are engaged. They want children who see injustice and can fight it. They want children that are joyful, that find can find a job that they really love. That'll be good parents. Mm-hmm. Those aren't the things taught in ABCs. They really aren't. And so 
we're focusing on something that when we sit down and think about it, that's not really what we want for our kids. Mm. And the more language they know, the more experience they have, the easier it is for them to pick up on academic concepts. Mm. And so that's why people are surprised when I say to them, actually, you can boost standardized test scores. And it's not by using flashcards. Yeah. It's all of that engagement. It's by, all, you know, getting kids interested and let's turn sixth grade into a place where children enjoy learning. Mm. We can do it. We really can do it. And so we who know better and have looked at all of this research, really being vocal and really helping families and other partners to understand that there's a, there's a lot at stake, but it's not a lost cause. There is just many things that we can do, uh, particularly in early childhood, man. I mean, have a conversation with a four-year-old. The world is a good place. <laughs> we, can, we can learn a lot. We really can learn or remember a lot from our, yeah. our youngest learners. Um, Katrina, it's been a delight to speak with you. I love the passion. And I think this is, again, there'll be a moment where I often wonder about how we'll be judged by, you know, the current design or the current principles. And I think we'll look back in 15, time, in 15 years' time, hopefully, and go like, ah, oh, yeah, we we kind of lost lost track of, you know, what what we know intrinsically, and and the evidence is overwhelmingly telling us, you know, what's best for our young people, and actually for the adults that teach them too, is kind of to be in these spaces, to be exploratory and to be playful. And so, my last question is, um, what's a take home message that you'd like to leave us with here? You know, ruminating on, well, thinking about. I, and I've talked a little bit about before, but I think for parents, what I would love to tell parents is don't be too stressed. You know, there are, there are just so many wonderful things that you can give to your children, regardless of your circumstances or your income level or your schooling, any of those kinds of things. They learn so much from us. And so don't worry so much about um you know, all of those things that in the end, kids are going to be able to Google on their phone. Mm -hmm. So, so really it's about, you know, teaching them how to access resources. It's not teaching them to memorize things. So, so parents enjoy your children. I think if we, if a parent could do that, you're going to see everything blossom from there. Mm -hmm. So just enjoy your children. And I think for educators too, we have to be willing to stand up and say, yes, I understand that you want me to have these good standardized test scores, but let's also talk about those things that aren't as easy to measure. Let's also talk about those things that are you know, important to the future. So, you know, if you're, if you're an educator or even families out there, I would love to hear from you. Um, go to trustforlearning.org. Um, um, my information is there. If you've got questions about things, you know, particularly for young children um, mm. and their families, I, you know, we'd love to engage with you because there's so much out there. There's so much possibility. There's so much hope. There's so much, you know, you, you don't have to be pessimistic. You don't have to worry as much as we do. You know, take that time, have that conversation with a two-year-old who's just <laughs> babbling. <laughs> Just bring some joy, some joy and unpredictability right? back into life. <laughs> yeah, kids are hysterical. Like yeah. tap into that. They're yeah. you know they're fun and they're 
joyous and they're just everything is new to them and they mm-hmm. can sit look at a dandelion for an hour mm-hmm. and just they're with them you mm-hmm. know there's there's really there's really no end to to what you can do and just follow their lead and and enjoy life with them because they'll they'll see that yeah. and and children with joyful families are much more likely to be joyful themselves and adults uh, you know, and you look around, look around. Is there a way that you can reduce an inequity in a community? Is there a way that you can talk to the local hardware store about getting some pots and some dirt? And... <laughs> so there's a lot we can do. So yeah. we never, never despair. We can really, you know, play leads learning. And so the more you play with your kids, the more learning that happens. So enjoy. It's beautiful. And it really, I think, calls on the principles of ideal learning that that all the research and, and the reports that you've also um, created, Katrina, I think really insightful for all of us. Look, thank you so much for joining us for the Learning Future podcast in the beautiful natural environment I see behind you as well. Um, it's <laughs> been a better really outside and you can see the, the trees and we plant a tree every year, even in our little suburban uh, area and, and trying to bring as much nature as possible. So. Oh, it's beautiful. Well, you know, the, the we, we forget that we are nature so often. And so when we say we're di- disconnected from nature, we're often disconnected from ourselves. It's a beautiful Andy Goldsworthy quote, I think. So Absolutely. Just take a roll in the grass. <laughs> Absolutely. Here's to a roll in the grass. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate your time.